Welcome to CPF Firewire, a podcast from California professional firefighters where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve. Hello, I'm Brian Rice, president of the California Professional Firefighters, and we're here with another edition of the CPF Firewire. Today, we're going to talk about preserving secure pensions uh, for the men and women on the front lines. And this has been one of the most important fights that our unions have waged over the past several decades. And this month marks another milestone in that ongoing fight. Uh, A new court ruling has likely put in motion, I won't say once and for all, because there's probably going to be an, be an appeal, but it's put in, it's put an end to Proposition B in San Diego's pension killing ordinance. And that decision caps uh, nearly a decade of struggle by San Diego Firefighters Local 145 and other public workers to reverse that controversial uh, pension proposition. And for those of you that don't remember, Proposition B ended secure pensions for most all city workers except police and switched them to a uh, more or less a defined contribution without a line of duty death benefit. So there's a lot that we're going to cover here. Um, But today we're specifically going to review that pension fight in San Diego, uh, how the battle was formed, um, how it got to court and a court victory, how the firefighters led the charge to end Proposition B and the wider implications of the measure um, for all of us in secured pensions across uh, California. And it's just an honor today um, to join us on the podcast is Jesse Connor. Jesse is the president of San Diego Firefighters Local 145. Jesse, I just want to welcome you to the Firewire. Thank you, President Rice. It's really my honor to be here, and and I'm uh, so excited to get to share some of our experience with firefighters across the state so that hopefully other folks can learn uh, from some of the lessons that, that we've had to live through. And I'm now the fourth uh, president here at Local 145 that has had to shoulder uh, part of this, this burden. It's gone on so long. And so... Um, just just the latest uh, team member uh, who's who's leading the fight down here, but we've got a, a lot of great folks doing a lot of great work, and, and I'm excited to talk about all of them. Going back to um, really the pension wars and Proposition B, I, I think there's a lot of our members, Jesse, that don't even know what happened. Take us back to um, the beginning of Proposition B, how the ballot came to be, the controversy surrounding that, that really put us in this position today, how it got passed, and then really what were the implications? What did the members of Local 145 face the day that thing passed? Our journey began uh, probably uh, 2011 uh, unofficially when our then mayor, uh, Jerry Sanders, and a couple of Council members who uh, had personal agendas at the time started drafting a pension reform initiative. Um, they they had competing plans, but ultimately worked out one plan that uh, ended pensions for firefighters and all city employees, with the exception of our police officers, on a go forward basis. Uh, and then instead of meeting and conferring with the labor unions in the city, and in the city of San Diego, we have six labor unions, uh, five were impacted. Um, they they kind of did an end around and they uh, started marketing it as a, a voter initiative or a citizen pension reform initiative um, under the guise that if they they did it through the will of the voters that they could avoid their obligation to meet and confer under the Myers-Milius-Brown Act. 
And, and that was really the, the basis of, of why this thing became uh, a problem. It, it did pass a majority vote uh, in 2012 and effectively ended any defined benefit pension for, uh, as I said, all city employees, including firefighters, from January twentieth uh, of twenty twelve, or excuse me, July twentieth, twenty twelve, on. And and so as of today, uh, about forty percent of our firefighters are not in a defined benefit pension system. They have a four hundred one k style benefit, um, which is very similar to a four hundred one k. Just a couple of differences that that you know, we don't need to get lost in those details, but it effectively means that the city will match uh, 11% of an employee's base wage into this account. Um, and, and that's all they get. And so uh, that became a problem uh, because it it eliminated some, some benefits that firefighters really rely on. And the primary is death and disability. A lot of people don't know, but if you are injured in the course and scope uh, of, of your duties or killed, uh, generally speaking, employers pay an ongoing uh, disability benefit for the rest of your life if you can't continue working or to your uh, dependents if you're killed in the line of duty. And that's important for firefighters who risk their lives. They need that reassurance. We don't ever want to create doubt in the minds of firefighters or police officers and, and you know, have them hesitate uh, taking uh, swift action under the, the event of an emergency. And that's really what it did. We started seeing that we have a fire crew of four people down here. Two of them have death and disability benefits and two do not. And, and yet they're going on the same traffic accidents on the freeway. They're going into the same fires, everything. Um, and, and it became a, a huge concern. Um, and so uh, that was one big thing. The other thing that you alluded to earlier is, is um, absolutely correct. And that's pension security or, or retirement security. You know, we, we give our lives and our bodies and our health uh, in in public service throughout the course of our career. Very few firefighters retire and say, hey, you know what, I'm injury free, I feel great, uh, I'm gonna go enjoy life. I would say the majority of our firefighters uh, leave the job after you know, surgeries, shoulders, backs, knees, ankles, hip replacements. Um, we break our bodies for years. And that's what I'm really hoping that our listeners, especially the young ones, understand um, why the pension is so important. It's not, not just the pension. There are other things that come with that that protect your family and your spouse. And that, that's, a, that's a big one, Jesse. And, and um, didn't mean to interrupt you, but it was like I, I wanted to really hammer that point to our members um, on, on what was lost and what's being fought for. You're absolutely right, and I couldn't have said it better, um, but, but it's the ripple effect of what goes with the pension. It's, it's, not, as, it's not a singular issue uh, that it was represented as to the voters. And so uh, all of that said, the, the city, uh, in, instead of negotiating with us on some uh, you know, reform measures, they uh, represented this initiative to the public. Uh, they used their official positions as mayor and council members to sell it. Uh, and and then when it was passed, they said, well, it wasn't a city initiative. It was a, a citizen initiative. And who are we as the city to get in the way of the voter will? And, and so really, I, I know Proposition B has become synonymous with pension reform. Um, but really, it, it's a lawsuit based off of respect for the law. And, and the city violated the law in how they implemented Proposition B. Pension reform despite uh, what we think is not illegal. 
But how the city of San Diego implemented pension reform in this city was absolutely illegal. Not my words, but the words of the California Supreme Court in 2019. Kind of dissect that just a little bit more for us as Sanders and, and I'll just say it, some of his cronies were designing this and bringing it to the public and then how they painted it to the public versus what it truly was. We had uh, competing ballot measures at the time that were being worked on by different factions, and, and all of them were unfortunately incredibly fiscally conservative uh, to, the, to the point of, uh, of their own detriment. Um, and, and so there was a lot of backdoor deals. They ultimately realized that multiple initiatives uh, would surely confuse the voters and would fail. And so they, they landed on one, and that, that's Proposition B, which you, um, which you see. Um, and, and yes, they, they went out then and represented it using uh, the official positions uh, that they occupied. And so, uh, you know, you had uh, Mayor Sanders at the time taking interviews and, and saying, introducing himself as Mayor Sanders, uh, standing in front of the city seal, using his chief of staff to organize meetings, using, you know, campaign contributions um, to, to fund these, these political activities. And uh, if he had done all of that as Jerry Sanders, of course, we all maintain our individual rights to, to participate in politics when we're off duty. But the minute you corrupt the process by using your official position, you've essentially put your thumb on the scale. And now you're not saying that, that I, as a private citizen, am endorsing this. You're saying that, hey, as the leader of this city, I'm endorsing this. And so, uh, for folks who maybe don't don't uh, take the time to educate themselves or are misled, uh, given partial facts, they they trust their leaders, right? We generally want to trust the people who we've elected to represent us, and so they say, "Well, I don't really know about this, but I'm going to vote for it because the mayor told me that that he's endorsing this, and that's a good thing." And so we didn't just have it with the mayor; we uh, had it with Councilmember Carl DeMaio at the time. Um, who, uh, uh, again, he, he contrived a problem, uh, gave partial facts to the voters, and then uh, came up with his own solution, right? And so to, to us, that wasn't a respectful way of representing the, the ballot measure. Um, and then you also had the city attorney gave their ruling uh, and said, no, what Mayor Sanders is doing uh, is, is uh, appropriate. He's, there's no conflict of interest here, right? And so we all know that that you could have 10 attorneys in a room and you're probably going to get 10 different opinions. And so um, at the end of the day, it's it's just a legal opinion. But in this case, it's the legal opinion that the city relied on and it was wrong. And, and now multiple courts have confirmed that it was wrong. And so um, uh, fortunately, we do have a, a new city attorney who respects the law and has has since guided the city uh, after numerous court decisions to say, hey, we should rethink our position on this because the California Supreme Court was very clear that we violated the law. Um, so, so Jerry Sanders is, is and his team ultimately uh, got uh, enough signatures, got support for this this ballot initiative back in 2012, uh, and they got it placed on the ballot. Uh, and, and it again, it was ultimately successful. Uh, unfortunately, the voter turnout wasn't great. I know that it's constantly represented as 65% of San Diego voters uh, approve this thing, right? And, and you're thinking, well, wow, that's that's overwhelming majority. The unfortunate part is it was a, such a low turnout for that election. Um, I, I think uh, the totals were, were around 230,000 
people turned out to, to vote in a city of 1.4 million. Talk to us a little bit about what Local 145 leadership and members did during that campaign to try to defeat it. Our union uh, put forth great effort uh, to, to try to educate the public and, and the voters on what this thing really was. Um, and, and, you know, it's some, sometimes people ask me, well, uh, what, clearly this thing passed. So what did, what did Local 145 do wrong? And, and I say, well, that's not really a fair question because we can look back uh, and, and, you know, it's always, hindsight's always 2020 and we can always say, well, we could have done more. But at the time, I, I will tell you, the leadership of Local 145 worked tremendously hard and, and they were out there campaigning and, and, you know, spending money to advertise and doing all of the same things that, that all of our firefighters are familiar with during campaign season. Um, but we came up short. And, and, you know, we could split hairs over, did we do enough or, or what more could we have done? Clearly, um, we, we now know that it was a very real threat. Uh, we've paid dearly for it. And um, that's part of, of, of why I love this podcast, because we've got to get ahead of this in cities where it hasn't happened yet or it's on the horizon. And we have to say, don't, don't take these threats, uh, you know, sitting down throw everything at it because in the long run, it's going to be less expensive and less time consuming. And, and I'm with you on that. You can, hindsight, you can hindsight and 2020 guess this so much. If I was going to do anything, and I, you and I have had this conversation, as long as I'm president of CPF, we will not as much as possible allow a local to find themselves in that. And they may find themselves in that position. We will be present be, because it affects everyone. And then I think that's one that members need to understand because I was on, I was a local 522 president. I was friends with Ron, with Alan, with, with Frank and watched this battle and watched what local 145 did. And, and I could look at it and say, my hat's actually off because the battle they were fighting for the vote was, and they knew in their mind, it was, they knew, actually they knew legally it was illegal, but they couldn't just, um, you can't just blow everything up. You got to follow the process. And if you guys didn't follow that process, you could have gotten blown out of court. And, and so there's so, it's so um, technical and you've got to do everything right. And that, that for me has been one of the fascinating things with Local 145 is the length of this battle um, and, and the way that you guys conducted yourself and the way that you got um, business done um, this was not an easy road. This was hard. This was actually two separate court cases. Um, the first one, we started with a, a ULP, an unfair labor practice charge, and we sent that, as, as most of our listeners probably know, to PERB, uh, the Public Employee uh, Relations Board, because th they were set up as a quasi-judicial agency outside of the superior court level to handle these types of cases. Well, PERB ruled in our favor. That decision was appealed by the city to the fourth district court of appeals and they overturned perb's decision and said no perb got it wrong um, so we're not even going to rule on the remedy part of what perb suggested well then we appealed that to the california supreme court the california supreme court said no fourth district court of appeals you got it wrong and and perb is entitled to deference because this is their specialty and it's like in football the ruling on the field stands unless it was so egregious that that there's conclusive evidence to overturn and so the California Supreme Court said uh, they remanded or sent the case back to the fourth district saying, you got it wrong. So we're overturning that, but now you have to rule on the remedy. Uh, 
the fourth district court of appeals then ruled on the remedy. Uh, the remedy was a bit subjective, but it suggested that although the initiative itself was illegal or implemented illegally, the, the initiative was not illegal. And so we essentially have a law on the books that has no force and effect. Well, how does that work? It, it really doesn't. So we had to go to a second court case called a quo rento process. Um, to get a quo rento, which is striking down a voter improved ballot initiative, it, that's a big, a big deal in the state of California because we wanna protect the will of the voters. And so we were required to get approval from the attorney general, uh, Xavier Becerra. Um, we made our case to him. He approved the quo rento process to go forward. And so we refiled at the superior court level now that quo rento. And so the decision that, that we most recently received earlier this month is uh, a ruling in our favor for the quo rento in superior court, meaning the whole proposition should be thrown out. Um, now we'll have about 60 days. Uh, both sides will have about 60 days to appeal that. Uh, and, and we're suspicious uh, and, and expecting that it will likely be appealed by the proponents of the initiative now to the, the fourth district court of appeals. So it's really a waiting game, um, but it, it was a huge victory. Um, it's, it's something that's so frequently, uh, infrequently exercised in the state of California that, that most people don't know what a quo rento is. Talk to us about the kind of stresses that each of you faced, your, your executive board, your members, because um, I know that, that it, there's no way it didn't have an effect on, on your local and, and your leadership, and I'd uh, like to hear about it. No union out there, regardless of size, can do any of this on their own. We really need to engage one another. And in 2012, <clears throat> excuse me, we did have the involvement of other locals, folks coming out, donating money for, for PAC contributions, things like that. Uh, and, and that was important to us. And that's why we now want to give back and, and help other locals who may be facing the same circumstances. Uh, but it's tremendous stress. Uh, it's, it's stressful knowing that there is this giant problem laying out there and you're kind of relegated to waiting uh, on the court system, waiting on the process. We always knew that we would get our day to tell our side, that we would always get to represent the facts and not not the people who had the cameras at the time, you know, what they were saying. Um, but we had to wait. And, and you know, I, I appreciate the work the courts do, uh, but but they are backed up. And, and, you know, each level, when it gets appealed higher and higher, um, it, it's a it's a waiting game, right? The California Supreme Court didn't even have to take the case. They had to to review it to see if it, it actually met their criteria. Um, and so all of that was stressful because we're spending, at this point, we have spent probably the four uh, unions, uh, we've spent probably about $1.4 million fighting this thing, unpacking this. Um, and so you're constantly spending member uh, funds to, to defeat this. And there were times over the last seven years where you, you kind of think, would it be easier just to ask the city to, to negotiate and, and you know, take lesser of a benefit than we're entitled to? Um, you know, are, are the courts ultimately going to rule against us? And this was all for naught. These stressors are constantly going through your mind. And, and any union leader out there um, you know, knows what I'm talking about, because at the end of the day, we all want to do the best for our, for our members. And, and sometimes uh, you're in a situation where you almost lose sight of, you know, what is the best. Um, but but when we when we do that, you know, we, we regroup uh, locally, we, we reach out to our attorneys, we reach out to the members uh, for for feedback. And everybody, uh, you know, despite the journey, everybody kept saying, keep fighting, 
this this was wrong. We we are morally right. We are legally right. The voters were misled, and it's been a detriment to public safety in this city, and that's intolerable. And so we kept fighting. Um, but but individually to the member level, um, this was a huge uh, you know stressor because as I've already alluded to, uh, we have company officers out there now that that were ordering people firefighters into harm's way, knowing that they didn't have a death and disability benefit. Um, we had, uh, you know, uh, for, for years, we've always been taught on how to manage finances or what to do with our 401k by the folks who came before us. But we saw a divide. And now, uh, you know, senior folks in the fire stations didn't know how to talk to our, our uh, younger folks in those, those defined contribution plans because the benefit levels were structured so different. Um, and, and so there was a breakdown in that, that you know, uh, historical knowledge. Um, and, and then, you know, we became way less competitive as a fire department. We were the second largest city in, uh, Sandy, in uh, California and, and I think eighth largest in the uh, United States. Uh, but we were losing people to small cities that, that border our, our, you know, jurisdiction because we can't offer the pay and benefits to compete. We're the only major fire department in the state of California to not offer a pension. Um, and then we lost pace with, with some of our other benefits. And so if you want to be a firefighter, why would you come here to San Diego? Um, and we were, you know, unfortunately losing that battle. Um, so, so it was stressful and it continues to be stressful. Uh, every time we get a, a win in the courts, it's, it's a ray of hope. And, and we say, hey, the horizon's just, just ahead. Keep, keep fighting. See, talk to me a little bit about um, while all this is going on, you guys were still incredibly active at the city council level. You kept going, you kept going and got to um, providing the members that are under the 401k style pension with a death and disability protection. That, that one, I don't want to lose that in this conversation because that, that's another very key piece of this that's going to play out in the end and political action and what the payoff was for that. Certainly. Well, it's I know it's hard to uh, remain emotionless when you're facing challenges, uh, especially as a membership or a union. But really, that that would be my advice. Yes, we have Proposition B, and it's a, a huge impact, probably our number one fight going on. But we can't lose sight of everything else. Um, and, and we we you know, some of our members get frustrated because they feel that that politicians you know, have have not been honest with us and, and have, you know, therefore perpetuated problems like this. Um, and so they say, well, why are we involved in politics? We, we shouldn't even be supporting candidates. We shouldn't be having conversations. And, and what we remind them is, no, we have to continue having conversations because we have to prevent stuff like this. Are we always going to get our way? Uh, are, are, you know, politicians always going to understand our viewpoints? No, it, it would be uh, ludicrous to think that that would happen. But we have to try. And, and politics is all about relationships and uh, the commitment that I made to every politician, including the ones who openly attacked unions. I said, uh, you know, I will only provide you with facts. I will never make a statement that I cannot back up. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to establish that I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be fair. Um, we also uh, made a commitment to, to our political folks that we would never uh, do character assassinations uh, unless we are attacked. And so we can disagree with a politician, but I still want to take every opportunity that I can to have a conversation. And through those conversations, you know, we're enlightened with 
with different perspectives. And then we can go back and we can make our arguments stronger. Um, but we also have the opportunity to educate folks who maybe aren't aware of some things. And uh, as exciting as pensions and actuarial valuations and fiscal impact reports are, you know, I'll tell you that, that a lot of council members don't have the time to dig into these things. And so they rely on their staffers. And so as Local 145, I wanted to be a resource for their staffers and be able to provide them with credible information that they can make their, their bosses look good. And so our team has worked really hard to restore some, some broken relationships um, and pursue new ones. And, and we got involved with every candidate. And, and if they were not uh, the best for public safety, then, then you know, we got involved with the election and we backed their opponent. We spent money, we walked districts, um, we gave our endorsement. Um, we, we just did uh, the last election series, uh, you know, some, some online uh, campaigning and, and uh, activities, which were pretty cool. We leveraged technology, we were geofencing neighborhoods and, and sending out targeted, uh, you know, mailers. It, it's phenomenal. But we have to, because if we want, if we want fair leaders who respect public safety um, and listen, they may not agree with us, but but we want them to listen. Then then we have to be an active part of that process. And we went from a uh, five four uh, uh, council majority who supported labor uh, and uh, an, a not so friendly mayor, a not so friendly city attorney, to now having an eight to one labor friendly uh, city council a mayor who respects labor, a city attorney who respects labor. Um, and, and I know those folks are occasionally attacked because they say, well, you're in the union's pockets. That is, that is absolutely not true, right? I would love if that, that was even possible, but that's not how the world works. Um, what they are is they're willing to sit down and have a conversation. I can pick up the phone and I can say, I understand your perspective, but will you hear mine? And, and they'll, they'll give us that time. Um, and so, yes, we've been very effective at, at uh, you know, being part of the discussions uh, uh, as, as we move forward. And, and that's shown through some of the support that we've had recently. So long uh, answer to your question, I know, but that kind of leads me up to how we got death and disability back. When I took office as president, it had been six years since we were promised a death and disability benefit, but the city still had not implemented one. And, and I was at the table for some of those frustrating talks. Uh, the city sent it out to an RFP process twice, uh, and then they tried to get SDSERS, which is our local pension system, to only fund the component uh, for death and disability while not funding pensions. Um, and none of those were uh, good choices financially. The, the city found out that it is cost prohibitive to insure a thousand firefighters, right? Even though they thought that they could get better rates on the open market through, through private businesses, they, what they found out is, we generally have a high risk occupation and it's it's pretty expensive to do so. And so the pension was actually the cheapest way to go about it. And so with this knowledge, I worked with the IFF Pension Resource Department through our DVP at the time, Frank Lima, um, and, and we got some access uh, to, to some computer modeling technology that allowed us to show, uh, you know, what the, the likes and differences were uh, for costing. And then we actually came up with a creative way to fund a death and disability benefit on the go forward. And that's not pay a third party company because you're losing that money. You're, you're out that it's profit. Uh, our city self funds workers comp because it's a cheaper way for the city to do business. And so um, we said, well, let's add the death and disability component to the already existing risk pool. 
uh, and self-fund. In, in that case, you know, it's been six years uh, and we haven't had a death and disability. So the city's costs would have been zero, right? You don't, you don't incur costs as an employer until there's actually a death or a disability. And then it's, it's negligible because it's you know, um, absorbed by the pool. Um, and so that's what we did. Myself, uh, my vice president, George Duardo, uh, our secretary treasurer at the time, Brian Bone, we made the rounds and, and you know, knocked on doors and, and scheduled meetings with, with staffers. And, and we saw that, that there were some bites. Some people wanted to know more uh, and, and that led to follow-up meetings and other people kind of blew us off. Uh, but we just kept on it. And, and that was our number one issue with everything else going on. So we hammered it day after day, we'd probably meet twice a month with somebody. And it took us a year and a half. But ultimately, um, we got, uh, or we believed we had enough votes on council. And, and we got it pushed to a closed session, open session. And then, uh, and this is the best part. And I think there's a picture somewhere on our website. We actually had uh, over 50 of our firefighters show up, you know, in our red t-shirts. And, and we, we filled the council chambers. Jesse, one of the things um, as we close up um, is a look going forward. And I kind of want to be careful here because I know that you spoke of remedy um, and that that discussion is in the court. Um, what I don't want to do is um, compromise anything that um, Local 145 is doing. But what, what, as far as you're willing to go at the moment, um, what do you see uh, in the future for the members of 145 and specifically the members that are um, under the 401 um, type pension? How do you how do you see this thing um, resolving if, as, as far as you're um, comfortable in going? Because I, I can already see there's a part two to this. Certainly. And, and clearly there's on the go forward, if this thing's successful, uh, our goal is to get everybody back into a, a pension system that they should have been in all along. Um, that's an easy one, but there are some complexities with unpacking the folks who now have this tiered benefit and, and you know, have contributed money to this, this 401k style. And so there's a lot of questions that are on the table and will have to be worked out through a meet and confer process as to how do we treat those folks? Um, you know, do we, do we allow them to purchase the missed pension credits um, with that money that they've contributed to this, this other plan? Um, are they allowed to make a decision to keep it? Do we force everybody back uh, historically into a pension? Um, and I don't think that that I even have that answer today, but we're absolutely considering all of those those different possibilities um, so that we can be prepared to to unpack this thing when it comes time. And then, you know, unfortunately, we do have a lot of folks who have left the city, which further complicates it uh, because the 401A is portable they've accrued a benefit and, and went to a different city and now they may be reading about a ruling that that ruled that original benefit illegal so um yes we're we're more than willing to work through it as compared to everything else we've been through that seems uh, like the the least of our troubles i'll just say it jesse i'm super proud of um you every past leader of local 145 your leadership and your membership for um, the tenacity to stick this one out. And so I'm gonna, um, if you have some closing remarks or there's so many questions I wanna, I wanna ask, but if you can leave us with a couple of closing remarks, um, I would love that. 
For sure. And thank you for those kind remarks. We appreciate your leadership at the state as well. And, and I'm going to circle back to where we started. And that's what you're doing. How do we help other people not go through this, right? How do we, how do we avoid it? And so just a couple of pieces of advice for union officers out there. Know your rights. Uh, the, the most important part is issue spotting. If you don't know your rights are being violated, then, then how do you protect your members? Um, and if you're a small local, reach out to those around you. Uh, you have resources up and down this state, uh, all the way up to CPF, IFF. You've got good people with experience, and, and that has been a key to our success. We look to others who have gone through some of this stuff. Um, take all threats serious um, and, and, and spend the money up front if, if there's any question as to how big it could be, because I will tell you, you will save money and time and stress in the long run. Um, and then I want to give a, a, just a, a shout out reminder to all the members out there answer that call when your union board says we need your help because if we would have put 900 of our members out there uh, boots on the ground uh, campaigning we could have i don't know for sure but we could have uh, you know gone down a different path with this thing so please be involved with your union and and listen to their guidance because it's generally coming from attorneys and and experienced folks uh, that they're talking to and then last point uh, that, that I'll say is get involved politically. You cannot uh, live in a vacuum and believe that, that you know, we're, we're somehow above, beneath, or outside of politics. Everything is political. And, and make sure you establish those relationships. Even when you were wronged by a politician, reach out and have a conversation. You may only agree on two of 10 things, but that's two victories. And, and if you find those politicians that agree eight of 10, great, great. But if you don't get involved, you're going to get zero of 10. So um, I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I, I, we, we are you know, humbled to be part of this, really respect the leadership of the state, you, Mike, the, the whole team up there. Um, and we look forward to talking again. Jesse, um, I just can't say it enough. Uh, honored to have you on here. Um, men and women that you've been listening, this has been uh, President Jesse Connor, uh, Local 145, San Diego Firefighters, um, reviewing uh, the pension battle of almost the last decade. Jesse, thank you for your time. This is Brian Rice, President of the California Professional Firefighters, signing off on the Firewire. You can find CPF Firewire at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. You can also find CPF Firewire at the CPF website, www.cpf.org, and on the CPF YouTube page. We're always interested in getting your feedback, comments, and criticism. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. Drop us a line, info at cpf.org. CPF Firewire is a production of California Professional Firefighters. Our producer is Carol Wills. Our engineer is Matt McDermott. Please join us next month for another edition of CPF Firewire.